Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, find Proverbs chapter 13 as we look and as we study God's message to us this morning. And I do have to address one question real quickly before we get into the text. There, there's been this question, I think, circulating among different folks. A question, uh, a suspicion perhaps, that we canceled Father's Day Sunday night service just because Ole Miss was in the World Series. Any... <laughs> That is not the case, right? That has been a standing tradition here for some time. But if you want to watch the Ole Miss game tonight, well, you're able to do that, right? You're able to cheer. I see how excited you are today. On You know, this is a busy week for us and so many different things happening in our church's life. Obviously, Bible school Vacation Bible School and really our efforts that we put in there as we bring our children, teach our children. Many of us have fond memories of Bible School. We have fond memories of, of going and, and hearing God's Word, but also things like cookies, Kool-Aid. Do we even do that anymore? Do we? It's worse that. Do we do? You remember those days and sometimes there, it would be a week or maybe two weeks long and for some of us, it was just just a good time. It was a good time for us as children. My children kind of get a double dose of it every now and then. They're in church quite often, as you can imagine. This week while we were gone, uh, they went to their grandparents. Their grandparents couldn't handle them any longer, so they sent them to Bible school this week. So they got a week of Bible school there, and they got a week of Bible school coming up. And again, it's enjoyable, but hopefully what we hope to do is teach children God's Word. But as I am reminded, and as I was reminded as I studied this week, and yes, I was gone some this week, but I was able to get along with the Lord and study through His Scripture, and there were some things that just stood out to me, and I, I was reminded in particular that while we join with families to teach children, that is, we as a church join with families to teach children, I realized that the primary responsibility of teaching lies within the home. It is within fathers and mothers who are called to teach their children. All we do as a church is come alongside and say, we will help you, we will, we will um, help you in this, in this journey, in this work of teaching. But really, it's within the home that you find the primary responsibility of teaching. And you see that in the Scripture. You see it borne out time and time again. I mean, as I've studied through the book of Proverbs, as I've looked at it, how many times have we seen a father speaking to his son? How many times have we heard Solomon, for example, speak into the lives of his children and say, this is what you need to follow? You, you hear that refrain. You hear the refrain of teaching and instruction all throughout the book of Proverbs. It reminds us that it was in the home, the Jewish home, where the Word of God was supposed to be espoused and exampled for the children. And look, for the Jewish nation, they knew that they were one generation away, one generation away from losing their identity, from losing their culture. And that is the reason in that, in that culture, in, in, the, in the area in which they lived, they taught, they spoke, they shared with their children the message 
of God. It was an oral tradition, and they wanted to pass it on. They wanted them to know. They wanted them to hang on. Think about how long they passed on the stories of God, even before it was officially written down. They shared because they wanted their children to know of God and know his way and follow his way. I say to you today, as we look at Proverbs 13, that we are still today called to espouse the word of God in our homes. It's still the primary place. We are still to be the people who are teaching our children. May I suggest this to you? If you don't teach them, somebody else will. If you don't teach your children and you don't teach your grandchildren, somebody will. It, and I can't always guarantee you who that person is going to be or what truth that they're going to embody. Hopefully, some will pick it up at the church. But there's so many places in our culture today that are vying for the minds and the hearts of our children. Oh, they will find them. And they will teach them. And they will teach them ways that will be contrary to God's scripture, contrary to God's heart. I think it's the reason that, that we need to be reminded today that wise fathers teach their children. Proverbs chapter 13, look at verse 1. Verse 1 deals with this idea of instruction. It says, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Now that shouldn't surprise you again as you work through the book of Proverbs because already Solomon has spoken to his children, to his sons, and he has shown them the wise way. And now he says that a wise son is going to listen to his father's instructions. In other words, the father is going to be teaching and a son, a wise one, will listen to what his father says. Notice in verse 2, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. I want you to note that as you look through Proverbs 13, you will see, I think, at least one or two truths that will speak to the teaching that God wants us to express to our children. Now, there are all kinds of things, okay? Let me put this out there for you today. There are all kinds of things that we as fathers ought to teach our children. We as parents ought to teach to our children. There are all kinds of things. But you don't want to sit here and listen to me talk about every one of those things today, right? I mean, you don't want to be here for the rest of the day. Oh, Miss is playing tonight. Did I mention that? 7 p.m. You don't want to be here all day. So let me give you just from Proverbs 13. Just from Proverbs 13, some, some things, a couple of truths maybe that we ought to teach our children. Notice again in verse 2 that I read. It says, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. Let me say to you that wise fathers teach their children to work for their substance. To work for their substance. To work. When you look through Proverbs 13 here, you're going to see several, I think, instances, examples of a, son, of a father giving instruction on work. To work. I think that's still a good thing these days is that we teach our children to work. You know, God does provide, doesn't he? God provides? Absolutely. 
And often, the primary way in which God will provide is through J-O-B, a job. It's always funny. I hear people, well, I'm just waiting for God to provide. I'm just, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm waiting. God, you said God provides. Absolutely. And the primary way in which he provides for us financially, for most of us in this place, is through a job. Wouldn't most of us agree? If we didn't have the job, it would be very difficult to provide. In Proverbs 13, you'll see evidence given to work, to a call for people, for children to work. You know, my dad is not the most perfect or nearly perfect individual that you'll find. I'll never tell you that. My dad has issues just as many of us have issues. But the one thing that I remember my dad teaching as I was growing up was this work ethic. Now, my dad was a truck driver. He drove locally for Yellow Freight. And every, every um, night, thankfully, he was home and we saw him. And, but when he came in, he looked as if he had worked. Now, I do know that some of us sometimes will try to adjust our physical appearance to make it seem that we work. But my dad, it seems like it was an authentic look of work when he came in. He had grease on him. He was dirty. You could tell that he had worked. And he, he prided himself, and he still prides himself on that idea of work. You know what the one verse I heard more than any others when I was growing up? Wasn't John 3.16. It was this verse. A man that does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. The old King James, he would quote. That was the verse I heard more and more about work, about that we ought to be about work, that we are working for our sustenance. We're working for our substance. We're working. And here it says, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. Verse 4, it says, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Notice here he's speaking about a strong type of determination and work ethic. He is talking about how people are supposed to be busy, industrious in their lives. I wrote down, now I know I'm a preacher and I like alliteration, but this week I was at the Southern Baptist Convention and I heard a lot of preachers and a lot of alliteration, so I guess I was inspired. So one, one Monday night... I was sitting down, I was, I was looking at the scripture, I was writing out things, and I noticed how it just seemed to line up, at least for me, okay? So let me give you some of these ways in which the scripture says that we ought to teach our children to work for their substance. That first, we are to teach them to work heartily, heartily. You like that word? Heartily. It fits within my H's, okay? That's how I got that word? Heartily. With heart, that you work with diligence. Again, it says, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing determined. But not only we work heartily, we work honestly. Notice in verse 5, a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. 
Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Notice it speaks about honesty and what is right. In verse 5, a righteous man hates lying. In verse 7, he talks about the pretense of individuals who think that they have something, and yet they have nothing. That in our relationships, yes, that we work heartily and determined, but we work honestly with individuals. Fathers ought to teach their sons this. Fathers ought to tell their children that they are called to work honestly in everything that they're involved in. Should it make a difference that a businessman is a Christian businessman? Absolutely. We, as God's people... Reflect Him in every area of our lives. We do not put one thing here and another thing there. We do not separate our lives out as though one thing is affected by Christ and something else is not. Everything that we have is affected by Him. So if I'm in business, if I'm in the workplace, whatever I'm doing, I should demonstrate truth and honesty in the workplace. Look, when you shake a Christian businessman or you shake a Christian worker's hand, you should know that you can count on that shake and upon that agreement because you should know that you can trust a person when they give you that word. I I really believe, and I'll say this from time to time, I, I believe Christian citizens ought to be the best citizens of their country. I believe Christian employees ought to be the best employees of their company. Why? Because you should be able to count on someone who not only professes Christ, but who lives for Christ. Teach our children to work heartily, determined, but also to work honestly. Not without pretense. Verse 7, there's one who makes himself rich yet has nothing and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. It's almost the idea here of living in pretense. Individuals who, even in their life, they do not portray honesty. They portray pretense. They portray that they have something when they really don't. I love what one guy told me one time. He was a state representative in the state of Mississippi. I went down and paged for him one weekend and or one week there in the legislature, and I, I, I told him, I said, Randy, I said, man, it looks like you got all kinds of things. You got all kinds of things going, and you got this, and you got that. And he looked at me, and he said, well, I don't really have them going. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, the bank has them going. The bank owns most all this stuff right now. It's not me, Reggie. Understand, it's not me that owns all this stuff. And I said, you know, that's the way most of us live, right? The bank owns most of what we have. But here he says, pretense. He talks about those who seem to have everything and yet they have nothing. He says, work and live honestly. In verse 8, he says, the ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not rebuke. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with a well-advised is wisdom is that you work humbly. You work 
humbly. Humility in your relationships. Humility in the way you approach your job. The ransom of a man's life. Humble because you understand that a, one who has wealth, notice, is in, really has some risk. He says the ransom. The poor, people aren't worried about capturing them for a ransom. It's basically the idea that you get out of verse 8. It is only those who have riches. Understand that there's something about God humbling us. By pride comes nothing but strife. Many of us have worked in different places, different venues, and how refreshing it is when you meet humility face-to-face within the workplace. It's not just about honesty, but it's about humility. Of somebody that is not caught up in pride or arrogance or climbing certain ladders. They are just who they are. And they work humbly. I think we ought to encourage our children to work humbly. Verse 11, wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. That we'll continue to work habitually in our lives. Some translations, the ESV that I was reading this week says in verse 11, little by little as they work, they will increase. It's almost like the idea here, some commentators would say, is that it is so much better when you have gained little by little than having all of it, just uh, all of the treasure given just at one moment. Just at one moment. Little by little. Habitually working and gaining and doing what you are supposed to do. Verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Verse 19 says, A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. A desire accomplished is sweet. Verse 12, Hope deferred, but when a desire comes, it is a tree of life. What is he talking about? It's like doing what, what you're supposed to be doing. Listen to me. I think many of us need to teach our children this. Your job and your vocation is not just about money. But it's about doing what God has called you to do. Because when a desire is fulfilled, it is as sweet as honey. When the desire comes, it is the tree of life. But there are many people working and doing different things in their lives right now. And their heart is sick, as verse 12 says. Because they're out of place. They're not doing what God has called them to. But they're doing what they felt like they had to do or what others wanted them to do or what they had to do in order to be financially successful. There's too many people that are miserable today because they have pursued a path that's based upon their own selfishness upon their own ideas of the world and not because of what God has called them to do. You see, God wants you to work happily. Work happily. 
And I, I think that's what we need to pass on to our children. We need to tell the, our children. We need to look at them and we need to say, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. Would all of you agree with that, first of all? Look at our children and say, God has a plan. He has a purpose for you. And what God is going to do in your life is he's going to, he's going to place a desire within you to fulfill that purpose and that plan. If you're following him, if you're close to him, if you're seeking him, then he's going to place a desire within you to fulfill that plan. And when that desire is placed there, and when you feel it welling up inside of you, springing up inside of you, then you do what God has called you to do. And we'll be there to support and to guide. There are too many square pegs trying to fit into round holes today. Trying to force things in their lives. Now, when I say this, I'm not telling you that everybody's called to be a preacher. And some of you say, whew, thank God. <laughs> Not everybody's called to be a preacher. Not everybody's called to be missionaries. I am thankful for God's call upon those lives. And you can see it within them. You can see the desire. You can see it welling up inside of them. You, you know what's going on in them. And you know that if they don't do what God has called them to do, then you know that they will not be fulfilled and that their heart will be sick. You do know that, right? I moved to Picayune for a little while as I was getting ready to get into school and I wasn't preaching every week. I was preaching some revivals. I had gone up and preached here and I had preached there. And, but I was not preaching every week and I was attending First Baptist Picayune. I was trying to get myself involved there. I joined a grow team or two and I was trying to do this and trying to do that and Stay busy. Leslie will tell you it was one of the most difficult times of my life. She knew that I was, I was very low in my emotional life, probably in my spiritual life in some sense. I was at a bad place. And you know why? She and I talked as I went and talked to Dr. Harden, the pastor of that church, one of the reasons, I didn't feel like I was doing what God had called me to do. And I can tell you I identified with verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. My heart was sick. And because of that, it had affected me. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Or in verse 19, a desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. When the desire was fulfilled, when I found myself pastoring, when I found myself in the church's life, what great satisfaction it brought. What great satisfaction it brought. Now, see, we talk about preachers and teachers, uh, preachers and missionaries in particular like that. But you understand wherever you are and whatever you've been called to is the same. Vocation, look it up, comes from a Latin word that 
means something like to call, calling. So your vocation is your calling, whatever that is. If you're a teacher, if you're an engineer, if you work on a line somewhere in a plant, whatever God has called you to do, that's your calling, or it should be. Or otherwise, you will live life totally frustrated. Maybe, again, it's in pursuit of wealth or pursuit of some other kind of worldly offer. But you will always be frustrated. We need to tell our children that. We need to tell them that it's okay. It's okay if they don't have uh, all of the wealth of the world. It's okay if they don't have all of the fame of the world. What they need to do is find what God calls them to do and experience the happiness of a true calling in their lives. I'm not sure if you've gotten all my H's yet. You probably lost me somewhere along the line. But I want you to say, finally, as you teach them to work for their substance, teach them to work, hopefully, hopefully, hoping for better things, for God to do something, hoping. It, hope's a powerful thing, isn't it? And when we work, we ought to work with a sense of hope. Verse 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. A good man leaves an inheritance that you want to leave some kind of inheritance, that you want to leave something. Maybe there's a little hope that's there, the writer of Proverbs says. I did note, though, I don't know if you noticed this, but it says that something would be left to his children's children. Have you got that figured right? Is that, is that grandchildren? Yeah, did you get that? I hope my parents don't listen to the sermon today. <laughs> Children's children. That you're leaving, that you're, you're doing something, yes. And look, it is fine that you make a living. Listen, I said before, the way we, we see provision in our life for most of us is through a job. It's fine to be paid. God wants you to do that. God wants you to see the happiness of how he works in your life to provide in such a way. It's just that it's not everything for your life. But God does provide some things and some things that you can bless others with. But get this in verse 25. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. Again, this is the idea that as you work, as you do what God calls you to, you experience satisfaction in your life. Contentment, grace, peace. There's nothing greater, I think, in life than to experience satisfaction, grace, contentment, peace. Nothing greater. I heard an old preacher say it this way one time. He said, you know, money can buy you a $50 steak, but only God can give you the appetite to enjoy it. And there's something about the 
just the enjoyment. And notice it says, the righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul. Sense of satisfaction and enjoyment that is experienced. So I say to you again, wise fathers teach their children to work for their substance. Give you the second truth. You're worried because you think it's getting late. Second one doesn't have a list of H's, okay? Second truth, very quickly, is this. Wise fathers teach their children not to work for their salvation. Wise fathers teach their children to work for their substance. But wise fathers teach their children not to work for their salvation. You know, as I was looking through chapter 13, and I told you this week in the evenings or other times I would read and I would see, I, I began to see words like righteousness. Verse 5, there was the word righteousness. Verse 6, there was the word righteousness. Verse 9, there was the word righteousness. Verse 21, there was the word righteousness. Uh, verse 22, the word righteousness. Verse 25, the word righteousness. And all of a sudden, I saw righteousness all across this page. And then I began to think and ask myself, over the last few weeks, as we looked at wisdom and we look at God's word together and we look at like affirming and we look at being faithful and we, we come here to look at teaching, I, I asked myself, in those messages and in other areas of our church, do we sometimes imply that if you just live good enough, and do these things and achieve a certain type of morality in your life, then you achieve also righteousness. And I was really bothered by that. I mean, because I mean, righteousness over and over, it speaks about righteousness. And, and I'm, I'm a little concerned that as we study the book of Proverbs and we, we try to put our, our own lens upon the page we can come to that point of saying, hey, it seems like all we got to do is do these certain things and boom, we are righteous. And that could be no further from the truth. Because righteousness is not achieved without Christ Jesus in our lives. And it is not even possible to teach the way we should without Christ Jesus making a difference in who we are. You see, the book of Romans, Paul wrote and he said, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they be, may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, but they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Listen to this. 
and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then he says, Paul says, of Abraham himself. In Romans chapter 4, What then shall we say that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work, notice that, the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Get that. You know, we teach our children to work. And yes, there's the Christian work ethic. There's the idea of the Puritan ethic that we follow in our lives. Work. Work hard. Make, make sure that you are achieving what God wants you to achieve. But never forget this. In your work, in all that you do, you can never earn salvation. You can never attain righteousness. Apart from Jesus Christ. Unintentionally, I think we have told our children or shown our children that you just got to work and you got to work and maybe God be pleased. Nope. All of our righteousness, all of it gathered up is nothing but filthy rags before him. But Jesus Christ died for us on the cross of Calvary because there was no other way because we could not have been good enough on our own, but he died on the cross of Calvary. And as we commit ourselves to him, as we have faith in him, we have salvation. And yes, then we work. Not far, not so that we can have salvation, but because we have salvation already in our hearts and in our lives. So, Hear me out this morning. We as parents, we as fathers in particular, it is up to us to teach our children to work, yes, for their substance. But it is up to us to teach them not to work for their salvation. To trust Christ and to trust Him alone. I hope this week that you're praying with me that we will see people come to know Christ during Bible school. We'll see them grow closer in their relationship to God. I hope that you're joining me with that. I hope you are. But I tell you what, I hope that we're doing more. I hope that we are committing ourselves in our homes to being those places where we teach Christ and him crucified and that individuals would come to know him and be saved and that they would follow him and that they would fulfill their calling and that we would see God's work manifest even in our homes. May we be the wise parents. May we be the wise fathers. He has called us to be as we teach our children.